Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, still on Zoom with Aaron Keller. And today we have someone, I don't know if he's even been on one of our podcasts before. It is wildlife diversity biologist, Mark Enders. Welcome, Mark. Hi, thanks for having me, Ashley and Aaron. Nice to be here. I have not been on a podcast before, so this is exciting. Thank you. It's about time. It's yeah, you'll be good. You're easy to talk to. Yeah. I, I've, listened, I've listened to many, so I'm a fan. Oh, yay. That's good to hear. Well, it's good to have you here, especially because we were talking about it before we started the podcast. You have such a unique job at and Now, we've had wildlife diversity biologists on before, but no one who is, you are the Tahoe biologist. Is that right? Can you kind of explain that? That's right. So my position started back uh, in the early 2000s. And so I'm the third person to be in the Lake Tahoe biologist position. But it's, it's a really unique situation because I actually work with a group of other state agencies as a, a Lake Tahoe resource team. And that's the state of Nevada's commitment to conservation at the lake. And so they, a long time ago, put together a well-rounded team of, of resource uh, folks. And so we sort of tackle issues as a group at Lake Tahoe. And so the other partners are uh, Nevada State Parks, Nevada Division of Forestry, and uh, Nevada Division of, of State Lands, and then Endow. So, uh, you know, as a group, we collaborate on, on projects at the lake. We, you know, have just a, a great working relationship as we try to, you know, tackle the tough job of, of management of resources in a very heavily visited but sort of unique and iconic place like Tahoe. So it's, it's a great job. I, I love it. Very cool. How did you end up there? <laughs> uh, well, I, I did my master's degree at UNR and actually worked in the Carson Range uh, as, as my uh, part of my research. And so I, I very early on when I moved to Nevada, got a great familiarity with the ecosystem up around Lake Tahoe. And so, you know, when, when the position uh, became vacant, you know, I, I already knew um, some folks at Endow who worked up at Tahoe and, and actually worked on projects with David Catalano, who was um, my predecessor in this position. And so, you know, I guess it was a right place and right time. But, uh, you know, I, I came with a lot of experience working up there already. And so, you know, it's a place that, that I just continue to try to learn about. And, and you know, conservation of, of wildlife up there is something that, you know, I've been involved with for a long time. So it's, it's a good fit for me. So. Exactly. You're working your dream job now for a dream I, job probably for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm very lucky. And I don't take it for granted. So Yeah, you get to work where... Um people vacation <laughs> that's true except they're usually on the beach or on the trail and I'm lurking in the woods looking for critters but you know it that's my style anyway so yeah totally it's uh you know I, it seems like almost every single day that I'm out there I find something to take a picture of and share with somebody just because you know the scenery 
is pretty spectacular. And there's a lot of amazing things that you run into up there, even after, you know, working up there for 15 years. Yeah, and there's a lot of species that are unique to Tahoe. And one thing that we haven't really talked about or covered on this podcast is raptors. There's so many different raptors, which that was one, when I reached out to you for the podcast, that was one of the main things we were thinking of talking about. So um, can you talk about some some of the unique raptors up there? Yeah, well, and you bring up a really good point, too, when you said that Lake Tahoe has a lot of unique species And, you know, when you look at the state of Nevada, obviously most of it is Great Basin or Mojave Desert uh, Basin and Range. And so uh, the Carson Range really just, you know, the Sierra Nevada barely spill into the state of Nevada. And so we do have a lot of species that only occur there within the state of Nevada. You're not going to find them anywhere else in our state but around Lake Tahoe. And so, you know, there are examples of songbirds and woodpeckers and, and mammals, you know, but raptors also. And I think, you know, one that's kind of near and dear to my heart these days is the California spotted owl. And, you know, spotted owls have been in the news a lot over the last several decades. There's a few different subspecies that we have in North America and in, in just the West. And, you know, uh, two of those are listed under the Endangered Species Act. And the one that we have at Lake Tahoe is the California spotted owl, which was recently uh, petitioned and evaluated for listing, but it was determined to be not warranted at this time. But, you know, that's an example of a species that's really rare. All across its range, it can be rare because it, it keys in on, you know, old growth habitats, especially, which we don't really have a lot of around Lake Tahoe anymore. You know, 150 plus years ago, the Comstock load really took its toll. You know, they, they cut a lot of the timber off of that mountain range. And so we still have a lot of second growth forest. And, and so, you know, spotted owls were not really on the radar for a long time. But, uh, you know, in the early 2000s, the Forest Service started to do surveys for them in the Carson Range on the Carson Ranger District and um, had detections. And it, w- it wasn't until basically like 2009 that we even knew they nested in our state. But, um, you know, since then, we've been able to cover thousands of acres with surveys looking for new nests. And, uh, you know, as it is, as it stands today, we only have one active nest that we know about in the state of Nevada up in the Carson Range. But, you know, we have probably 10 other incidental observations of spotted owls in the range. And so it's kind of like a hide and seek game a little bit where we're trying to find those locations because that's really the best way to, to, you know, preserve habitat and, and conserve species like that. But, uh, you know, really a rare treat to come across a spotted owl. Yeah, I was expecting you to say like some sort of eagle or something like that. So when you said spotted owl, I, I loved it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, you know, it's not something that most people will ever get to see. Just, you know, it's nocturnal, first of all, and, yeah. and it's also really rare. But, uh, you know, Lake Tahoe also has a lot of resources for other raptors that, that are, you know, much more um, observable on the landscape. And so, um, you know, it helps to have a lot of water around the Tahoe area. And so naturally that brings a lot of species to that area that, that you don't find in large numbers elsewhere in Nevada, like osprey, for example, is another raptor species that, you know, 
all the way around the lake, if you look at the Nevada and the California side, in any given year, we could have, you know, 15 to 20 active nests for osprey. But then if you look elsewhere in Nevada, you know, you might only have two or, or three maybe. And that's only in places where there's water because osprey only eat fish. 99 plus percent of their diet is fish. And they're the only raptor species that specializes like that. They won't take anything else really. Even something like a bald eagle, people might think they eat fish all the time, but you know, they take a lot of waterfowl and they you know, eat roadkill. And in Alaska, they apparently dive in dumpsters. And so, you know, they're like pretty uh, <laughs> adaptable, but you know, osprey are really specialized. So that's another one that, that is really visible. People can, you know, visit a nest location that's very close to a highway and just kind of park and look up at the birds and, or go to Emerald Bay on the California side and see 10 active nests in a very small area with birds flying around, aerial displays and diving for fish in the water. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember taking uh, volunteers up to Marlette Lake. And I mean, it's almost like clockwork. You could see the, the ospreys coming down and when those fish are starting to spawn, they come up on the surface and the ospreys just, they're going after them. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think it's like I had them trained. I was like, <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're pretty smart. I mean, they, they understand the cycles of these other species that they share the landscape with. Right. And so, you know, you hear stories elsewhere of, of you know, spawning fish. They're, they're kind of easy pickings for a lot of different species. And, you know, our fisheries biologists don't appreciate that very much. But, it, you know, I'm OK with it. So uh, but you're right. Marlette Lake is a, a great fishery it really is for for people and raptors alike so you know we'll often see bald eagles and osprey fishing that lake yeah and so how much of your work is like backcountry compared to like more like the where people could see things like how does that work for you yeah so you know i would say most of it occurs in the backcountry but you know the thing about lake tahoe is that's not necessarily going to get you away from people either. So, you know, you can take an example like Lake Tahoe, Nevada State Park, where I do a lot of work on state land up there. And, you know, I can drive into places that people have to hike into, but it's also right on the, the very famous Flume Trail, which, you know, thousands of mountain bikers flock to in the summer. And so, you know, I think that creates challenges, to be honest, both for wildlife, because you have so many people getting back into these natural areas where, you know, 10, 20 years ago, the numbers were a fraction of what they are today, you know, especially in a year like this, you know, 2020 was just a very, very crowded year up at Lake Tahoe. Um, but, you know, I think not so coincidentally, what we find though, is that a lot of our more rare species like spotted owls or Northern goshawks, things that are really tied to undisturbed remote forested locations, those species are not near people. So for that reason, I do find myself often being like pretty off the beaten path, um, you know, even for, for raptor work like that. Um, and then you get into some other species like pikas or something and I'm, I'm scaling mountain peaks where really I'm not running into anybody at all. So, you know, I'd say for the most part, it's pretty remote. Um, not something like where I'm always right on the side of the highway, but I, I find myself in those situations too. And, and the public's always curious to know, um, 
you know, what I'm up to. And so I, I like to have those conversations too. So it, it can be a mix. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, whether you're remote or around people, you're always out there searching. <laughs> you're always out of the office searching around for these different, like you said, the spotted owl is so rare to see. And then you have osprey that are easier to spot. So. Yeah, well, you know, I think that's definitely the a perk of, of a field biologist for sure. And, um, you know, it's, it's, like you said, you know, it, a lot of it is, is searching. And so in wildlife diversity, I feel like that's the name of the game almost because all of our species are the more rare and sensitive species, the ones that, you know, are very secretive or ones that we just don't have a lot of data on because they're hard to find. You know, you can talk to Jason Jones about how hard it is to find reptiles and, you know, he'll tell you all about that. But really for most of our species, it is kind of a, a search for them on a constant basis and, you know, trying to identify those really key habitats or like, let's say for a raptor, you know, the most important area for those birds are the nest and the area surrounding the nest. And so, you know, if we can identify where those are, that gives us a real good opportunity to buffer those off from disturbance. Uh, you know, in other parts of the state, that disturbance might be, you know, a new mine project or renewable energies. In Tahoe, it might be a new mountain bike trail or a visitor center or something like that. And so, you know, the, the issues are nuanced, but, you know, really it comes down to finding these animals and then trying to protect them as best we can. Exactly. And one of the awesome ways you find them are the winter raptor surveys, which I actually went out on one with you, but um, we actually are out of time for the first half. So when we get back from our break, we'll be getting more into that. You are listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we are talking with wildlife diversity biologist Mark Enders, and he's talking about all the work he does in Tahoe, especially We've been focusing on raptors, and one thing I mentioned right before the break, Mark, is your winter raptor surveys, because right before you were talking about how important it is to be collecting data on the different species in Tahoe, and that's one of the ways you do it. Yeah, so winter raptor surveys are a really interesting uh, part of, of what we do with raptors at Endow, and you know, a lot of the work that we do on raptors really focuses, like I mentioned earlier, on, on breeding and nesting and where are these really important locations. But, you know, it's really easy in that case to overlook the winter when these birds are obviously not nesting. They're not tied to a nest location. They're just out exploring basically the, the western U.S. in some cases for some of these individuals. And so, you know, it's really important that we don't overlook the importance of conserving those important winter habitats too. And so that's kind of what the Winter Raptor Survey is trying to get at. And it's a really long running effort. It started in 1994. And, you know, originally it was only done every few years. Now it's an annual survey effort where uh, biologists from 
Endow and other agencies and volunteers hop in their vehicles and drive predetermined routes along roads all over the state. We have 66 routes all over the state of Nevada, and then also nine routes that are done on a boat in Southern Nevada. So uh, it's a coordinated effort that happens every January. And it's really turned into one of the largest data sets that we have. You know, we've had more than 450 people participate over the years thousands of data points and it's really giving us an opportunity to dive a little further into where these birds are hanging out in the wintertime because that's you know winter survival is tough for most species in Nevada and uh, you know making sure that we manage the habitats they use that time of year is, is really an important part of conservation of raptors and so you know we can learn some interesting things and, and we have like for example Red-tailed hawks are just way more common than anything else, like three times more common than any other raptor species. And, you know, it's not surprising. We see them in town. They're, they're used to development. They're capable of living in remote cliffs or forests, and they're just really adaptable. Um, but, you know, if, if you had to guess what the second species that, that's most common in Nevada, you might not guess golden eagles. And, you know, people think of eagles maybe being a rare thing. And for sure, at one point in time, you know, uh, eagles were a lot less common, but in, in Nevada, nowadays populations seem to be really stable. You know, we have lots of nesting across the Great Basin, in fact, and so we run into a lot of golden eagles. And actually one of my favorite examples too is the rough-legged hawk, which only spends time in Nevada in the winter. If you were to look at the range map for that species, you would see that they, they only nest way up in the Arctic, in the Arctic tundra which as you can imagine is pretty inhospitable in the wintertime. So they actually come down to Nevada. And so for anybody who thinks it's cold here in the wintertime, you should talk to a rough-legged hawk because this is like balmy weather for them. They come down, they spend the winter here. And that's actually the third most common species that we find uh, around Nevada in the wintertime. But, you know, we can start to look at, at habitat types and we've started to work with uh, some university researchers on analyzing the very large data set. And, and you know, all of these species are, are, um, are queuing into pasture and hay. So we find big concentrations of raptors in a lot of the, the valleys, the low valleys in the state. So anybody who wants to, you know, drive down to Washoe Valley or Carson Valley, great opportunities to see raptors in the winter. And that's really why, because you've got um, open visibility, prey base, and, um, you know, most species are also, uh, they have a low association with development. And so, you know, a lot of the species that we're talking about just don't like to be around development and the constant disturbance. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a really great effort. And, and, you know, the plan is to, you know, keep doing it for years and years as we continue to try to hone in on exactly, you know, what our management goals need to be in the wintertime in Nevada for these species. But, you know, we've learned some really interesting and important things like the stability of bald and golden eagles in our state. Um, and other species that exhibit cycles, like, you know, if there's a real boom in the prey base, then these raptor species will increase in population for a short period of time, and then that'll kind of drop off and it'll rise up again. And so really interesting patterns can kind of emerge from such a long-term data set like that. You know what's cool is I went on two with you. One, um, I think it was around Pyramid, or in that area, and then the Pyramid route and then the other in Lake Tahoe. And what you're doing is you're driving around all day and anytime you see a raptor, 
you market and it's just crazy <laughs> the information you get from that's basically what you're doing right right and we're talking you know hundreds of miles that are covered all across the state and you know it's funny because it spills over into my personal life and i think you know that's just because i'm interested in anyway but i'm just driving around on my own time and spotting birds too safely i promise but yeah, um, yeah it's it, you know the way that project was developed it took some time to kind of get to sort of a standard protocol that we've now been using for about the last eight years but uh you know we get into some really beautiful sites um cover the entire state we engage our our state and federal partners and volunteers you know there are opportunities to get involved i don't know what january 2021 is really looking like for that option but you know in the future i think those opportunities will be there yeah i just think it's really interesting that these efforts have been going on for years now and the amount of information that you get is not necessarily for like a a cause or like a disturbance or a, something that's happening at the moment it's just to gain information about wildlife and yeah that and diversity does a bunch of different projects like that where you know just looking for animals you're looking yeah. for wildlife in the area and i think it's it's just really cool that data set that but um the thing that we we've, we've talked about in the past is our wildlife action plan and how that ties in and so there are certain animals that that you guys kind of focus on um, and maybe could you explain kind of how that works or how you pick yeah. the animal? Well, so yeah, the wildlife action plan is uh, something that all state agencies need to have in order to receive federal funding to work on diversity species. And so really, you know, we're already going to start our third iteration of that document, but you know, basically what it is, is it, it's a, a comprehensive document that discusses all of the species that are at risk in our state and also the habitat types that are at risk in our state, you know, because we do have, you know, some people think of Nevada as, as sort of just a, you know, open desert with not a lot of uh, nuance or, or variation in, in what's going on out there. But, you know, anybody who's actually been out there knows that there's a lot of different habitat types, vegetation types, and so, you know, each one kind of has its own issues. And so the Wildlife Action Plan is basically a guiding document for us that, uh, you know, not only lists these species, but discusses what the needs are. And for diversity species, that often ends up being that the need is, is more information. You know, there, there are some species out there that are so well studied, but a lot of diversity species, just because of their rarity, on the landscape, we just don't have a lot of information. And so you see that a lot in the document, need more information about this, need more information about that. And so, you know, that's, again, one of our goals is not only to find where these species are, but try to learn something about how they're using the landscapes in Nevada and you know, what areas and, and what characteristics are important to really maintain as, as you know, our state grows and, and um, you know, our climate changes and a number of things that, you know, in the future are going to make it tough for some species. And some of the work you've done focusing on these species because of this action plan, we've actually had some success stories. Can yeah, so, well, you know, in, in thinking about Lake Tahoe specifically, two, two examples come to mind really quickly, and that's the peregrine falcon and the bald eagle. 
And so both of those species were, were on the brink of extinction. You know, in, in the mid-1970s, uh, they kind of reached the low point for, you know, population size. And so um, they were both charter members of the Endangered Species Act. And so um, it took a long time, a long slow, hill, uh, slow uphill climb for both of those species. But, you know, at Lake Tahoe specifically, they even tried reintroductions in, in the mid to late 80s. Uh, really not certain if those worked at all, but um, you know, eventually the species started to recover once the pesticide DDT was banned and that made it difficult for them to reproduce because their eggshells were too fragile. And so when an animal can't have babies, then there's eventually not going to be a lot of them around. And so that's really what the, the case was. But, you know, it took a long time for them to recover. So 1999, they were delisted and it still took another 10 years for peregrines to show up at Lake Tahoe. So it wasn't until 2009, which is not that long ago, that peregrine falcons returned to the Lake Tahoe basin. And now here, just another you know, 11 years after, we have five active nest territories at the lake. And um, so, you know, you go from a species that was you know, literally on the brink of disappearing from most of uh, its native range to now a species that has three active territories on the Nevada side of the lake alone and uh, are reproducing successfully every year, putting out chicks, which are then gonna, you know, just allow that population to grow. And so it's really, it's really sort of a, a, a great scenario where you have these protections that are put in place specifically to allow a species to recover. And, um, and sure enough, you know, they look to be doing really well. In Southern Nevada, you know, there are probably over 20 peregrine falcon territories, you know, specifically around Lake Mead and, and nearby. But, um, you know, but there are conservation challenges still for that species. There's an example at a place called Castle Rock near South Lake Tahoe where you know, a lot of folks like to hike up to the top of these cliffs because the, the views of Tahoe are amazing and it's uh, just grown in popularity in recent years. But we noticed that peregrine falcons there had started to really become disturbed by the number of people and had at least two years in a row where their nest failed early on because of uh, just constant daily disturbance from hikers and so along with uh, Forest Service and Tahoe Institute for Natural Science and, and the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency, we developed a, a collaborative monitoring effort to try to determine what the next appropriate step should be to protect that nest site. And a couple of years ago, we decided to post signs early in the season asking people not to hike up there. And, you know, fortunately, you know, people, I think, who are out in Tahoe appreciate wildlife conservation and so they they really did a great job of, of heeding our warnings and we gave them lots of information and the last two years now the nest has been successful since we started posting signs and so you know even though you know the species has recovered you know, there are still challenges that we work through as, as wildlife management agencies. Yeah it's great to hear how the public responded to that though they wanted to help and keep that nest. Yeah I think the, that's what I was gonna say that the I think the commonality there for, for wildlife and people that go up into your area is, uh, is pretty cool to hear about. And I think that's probably why um, you get so many people that come up to you and ask you questions and, and want to know more and things like that. Yeah, everybody's always very interested up there, it seems. And, you know, I can, 
I can count on more than one hand the number of times I've heard somebody tell me that they wish they were in my shoes or that they worked for an agency like Endow. And so that always, you know, is a great thing to hear. Exactly. Well, Mark, that that's all the time we have. So I'm sure people are really going to enjoy this one. It was a lot of good and interesting information. So thank you for joining us for the first time. We'll have to get you back on. You're welcome. Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. And, and we'll consider this volume one, volume two to come. So. Yes, TBD. Right. We'll, we'll be, you'll have to keep listening to our episodes to get to volume two. Well, thank you everyone for listening. That does it for this week's Nevada Wild. again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.